Hey everybody, join me, Aaron, and my good friend, Andy, as we get together to have a couple of beers and talk about science fiction and fantasy spaceships and vehicles. Yeah, you heard that right. All but the exception of Dune. We do not discuss anything from that stuff. So join us every week as uh, we go down this little rabbit hole. Let's find out. What do we think is really the coolest vehicle? Who knows? Tune in to Does Not Include Dune Podcast. Wow. Uh, mad balls. 
I think that you've you've you've, you've made us look like Mad Balls. Do you remember Mad Balls? <laughs> mad Balls. I'm the Cyclops. Everybody wanted the eyeball. Living garbage pail kids that are somehow worse than the movie. All of these things are what Kelly brings so much to the table, and I almost feel bad for bringing her on the show. But like Eddie, she keeps yeah. volunteering her time. So that's right. Um, even so, though it's a mental affront every time. So t- tonight <laughs> you have to work with us. But this is Hey Kids Comics number three thirty two, Fox and Hound. Oh crap! Three thirty three is next week. Yes. Oh God, Kelly, next <laughs> week. Halfway to hell, Kelly. Halfway to hell. Take his comics three thirty three. Halfway to hell. But tonight we're doing this episode. Cole was inspired when he came up because we've done an entire six issue story arc <laughs> on Alan Moore, and it took, and we still didn't even. We hardly scratched the surface. We could have done more. You've done 12 issues alone in the past <laughs> on every single issue of Watchmen. Yes. You've done an hour on every single issue of Watchmen. We've done six hours on this show on Alan Moore. So what's another hour, right? I mean... <laughs> so we're going to deep dive tonight. It, considering uh, this show is dropping on November 5th. Yes, this is very important. Uh, in fact, we're going to drop it on November 4th in the U.S. so that it will actually be on November 5th in England where it matters. For the two yeah. people yeah. that listen to this show. And it's like, blimey, they're doing it for us. <laughs> they're going to be so mad at us after this show. After they heard that god-awful accent I just did. So this whole show is on V for Vendetta. Um for those of you that don't know V for we actually just talked about V for Vendetta two issues ago or three maybe more I got I don't know time gets away from you when we talked about um, co- uh, comic book appropriation because we talked about the 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 protesters in the V for Vendetta the guy Fox masks that mm-hmm. were made popular by V for Vendetta that yeah. had their history in um, oppression and the attempt to overthrow uh, government authority. So it makes sense, right? Right. And yeah, I, I, when we posited it at the time that for many who've taken on that icon, it's like, it's a V for Vendetta mask. Right. No, it, no, it isn't. No. No, no it isn't. Way deeper than that, people. Yeah. And we're going to go there tonight. We, I think we are. Because we have talked about V for Vendetta in the past, but what we haven't talked about are some of the nuances that led to V for Vendetta, and some of the. I kind of want to get into a little bit of the of the comic versus the movie, because uh, of course, in all things, the great and powerful Oz, Alan Moore, has, has immediately <laughs> gone on record as soon as he read the script for V for Vendetta to say, "Thanks, I hate it. This is awful. Yeah. <laughs> it's shit." I, I, I think just where they optioned it, it was like, oh, it's awful. Well, Kelly and I, Kelly posited a really interesting um, statement earlier before we started the show, which was, you know, he he, he definitely has kind of a, a Manson-esque vibe to him. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and yeah, he does. And if he liked any single person in the world, he'd be really, really dangerous. <laughs> but but That's he does so not. That's so true. He mean, does if, not. if he took any of us under his wing, we would all, you know, do his evil bidding. Well, there's a few. But like I was saying, I think that as we talked about on the sixth issue. Well, uh, I, I would so Sharon Tate. I would. Oh, Lord. 
Jesus. You would so you would so Sharon Tate. Yeah, I, I you didn't realize that was a verb. Oh, I prefer standing over tating. Um, <laughs> that was for the youths. That was that one was straight up for all them youths. That's for that's for the youngins. So we talked about V for Vendetta kind of on a, a broad stroke during the uh, during the Alan Moore story arc that we did, but we didn't really get into it. And it's it's an important it, it's an important story. And as time goes on in our modern climate, it becomes more and more important um, <laughs> because everything old is new again, and it is every what fifty years. So yeah, we. It's important to talk about. Let's start here. Kelly, what do you know about V for Vendetta? What is your background with this? Like, where do you fall with this? V for Vendetta was a magical thing. I came across at Mavericks Comics. Yeah, uh, girl. Uh, that, let's see, uh, about 1989? In a, in a moment, like, like, imagine reading The Watchmen and V for Vendetta pretty much in the same month. Um, oh, God. In, in, Explain because so much. It, right, right. But also, like, it's also not far from this time. Like, I, I'm so sorry to bring this up. Please. There, my uh, tenure in the Renaissance Festival begins, and this is important because of the Guy Fox plot um, and how I um, viewed V for Vendetta and, and knew about the history of Guy Fox and – wasn't it's 1989 all that stuff like that it's based on is is the early 80s right. um you know like there's so much of the conservative the conservative parties um like i brought up to andy earlier that like margaret thatcher was somebody you either loved or hated much like reagan you either loved him or you hated him it wasn't really like a good middle ground because of the extremism that it brought down and still the things that we're still dealing with today and and it's still like a it forms you, V for Vendetta, and I. It formed part of how I felt about things. Like, do I? What do I? Uh, what do I value? Do I value art and expression and real people over fake, uh, you know, fake attitudes and control and and weird religious dogma? Nice. Yeah. yeah. No, for sure. Um, I, I think that you know when we talk about Alan Moore. We have to we have to talk about him in the with the same level of respect um, and the same um, kind of air of awe that we would talk about a Heinlein, aww. yeah, awe that we would talk about a Heinlein or a Philip K. Dick or an Orwell because the sure. man crafted sci-fi in such a political and poignant way that it did make you stop and think about every your your worldview changes when you read something like Watchmen or V for Vendetta or even something like Top 10 as comic booky as it might be um you know there there is an informative factor there absolutely so did you watch the movie yes okay how did you feel <laughs> Um, I didn't hate the movie. I, okay. I loved parts of it. I loved uh, the visuals of it, the music, you know, because it is in the, the actual comic. There's all this music. It's written, and it's – but you don't hear it. You know, it's just written, and if you don't read music, you might miss out on some of it. Um, but you hear this music, and you it's – I mean it was so visual. It was so beautiful. You could practically smell the, the roses themselves. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, 
that was that part of that you know the way they colored it they they made those roses pop and and what a, a theme that, that that you didn't even know um i don't necessarily i don't remember walking out of it going this is exactly the experience that i had when i read this but i was also way older yeah um and had been through trauma and i think that that's that again i'll say this every time we talk about alan moore you go through trauma you go back to that story and you see something else that you didn't notice before right I agree. oh that is so true because that is the the nature of Alan Moore. And of course, we spent six uh, issues talking about that as we went, went through the Moore door. And you just. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 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 <laughs> but, you know, there's all there's so many layers that yeah. I've said repeatedly how I would. Uh, Often, you know, I'll go back annually uh, several times a year and read Watchmen. Yeah. And, and I'll even reread V for Vendetta uh, oftentimes because both bring so much. And there's mm-hmm. always these little subtle things that, you know, there was were aspects that I it took years for me to fully grasp because I refused to think anything was there for no reason because nothing was right. there for no reason. Right. After um, marriage equality became legal in the United States, I read V for Vendetta again, and and I just it was just like this this it just became so differently moving. But every time I read it, every time it's incredibly moving for a completely different aspect. Well, there's that poem that V, I, I can't remember if it was a poem or a song where he's talking to Evie, and it's in a, you know. A, a poetic rhyming scheme where he basically mm-hmm. explains what happened when Norse fire came into power. It, and I, actually, I think it was in a song because he was, he was composing and it was, uh, I, we don't get political on this show, but this is quoting from memory from the actual I source think we're material. Political on this one. Yeah, I don't think there's any way around it. Yeah. Where he's, you know, talking about the, uh, it was in, yeah, it's actually in the vicious cabaret. Mm-hmm. Or you have that line where it talks about, you know, farces and malarkeys, but there's no yids or um, something or darkies. And it, mm-hmm. it just it, it underscored what it was and what Moore was trying to illustrate there, I feel, is that 1930s Germany can happen anywhere. Yeah. And I think V for Vendetta becomes only the more relevant today in America. Absolutely. Because 1930s Germany can happen anywhere. It's, it's a and warning. If you, and if you question how could that have even happened, you know, it's happening. It's happening. Or, or the potential, the strong potential yeah. is there. And it is solely the fact that the systems we operate under hamstring what happened then. Uh, I, I think you're right. I, and I do. Okay, so all that being said, all the talk of V for Vendetta, I I really wanted to touch on Guy Fawkes Day itself, because without that catalyst, and I I would love to see an interview, and I haven't seen one yet with Alan Moore, where they asked him what what was the importance of Guy Fawkes Day in in the creation of V for Vendetta? You know, Mm -hmm. what was the, how did that galvanize and catalyze you creating this? Because the stories are 
they definitely lay the bedrock really well for V for Vendetta. Also, the story is buck wild, and I yeah. absolutely love it. Like, I, I was reading it, and I was researching it, and I didn't know it. Like, I, I didn't come from it from a place of Kelly. I came from it from a place of having no idea what the – outside of what we all know after reading V for Vendetta, which is there was a plot to blow up – you know, what, was it was it Parliament or the House of Lords? Parliament. Yeah, Parliament, Parliament with a bunch of gunpowder, and Guy Fox was involved – and they got found out, run out of town, summarily executed, and now every year you celebrate the the foiled plot, the most British thing in the world, which is celebrating a foiled plot. Um, <laughs> um, and you know what's fascinating is V for Vendetta, as we've talked about before, began in uh, a serialized form. Mm-hmm. Yes. In Warrior Magazine in England. And Duncanville Bookstore, which was our comic shop for myself and friends, had carried Warrior Magazine. And I remember seeing uh, Marvel Man on the cover, and then the sidebar would be V for Vendetta, or V for Vendetta on the cover, and something else would be, you know, Strontium Dog or something uh, would be one of the sidebar on the cover. And I recognized the V mask for what it was, mm-hmm. even though. Nothing about Warrior Magazine jumped out at me because in some history book, somebody decided, oddly enough, in a sidebar to bring up Guy Fawkes Day and about how, you know, one of the conspirators becomes the the front man for this failed plot. And every year they burn him in effigy in England. End of English history. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's nothing more to it, but that stuck in the back of my mind enough that I recognized from the illustration of a Guy Fox effigy a flame. Oh, that's that guy. So V for Vendetta must be about a guy who runs around in this British conspirator mask. Well, it's it's also referenced as a like a like a prelude to the Hollow Man. It's Penny for the old guy. Um, and which, when, by the time I showed up in Renworld, I had already read the Hollow Men, um, and was enchanted by it, the the poem, and it, you know, because of the fact that you know, well, everybody goes through that that phase, that that emotional phase, like you know, this is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. Oh yeah, oh my god, yeah, uh, whatever. Uh, but, <laughs> Live journal and red wine and I'm gonna write poetry, um, all that, and uh, it's what later became emo. But Nightmare Before Christmas wasn't out yet, so easy what do you do? killer. Um, You're coming right, over there. So, but um, the so the, the climate of England, like the cultural memory of British people, is incredible. They just like that's. I feel like that's why they don't show a lot of emotion because they're just each individually holding on to all of this trauma over the years. <laughs> And the it, it like British like especially the the current monarch Elizabeth II, the first Elizabeth was the prior monarch to James the First, who that's who Guy Fawkes was trying to blow up. There was a lot of 
light of um, Catholic versus Protestant, you know, Bloody Mary became Catholic. She was a Catholic monarch. She killed tons of people. Elizabeth, her sister, then takes the throne. These are all kids of Henry VIII who put the country through all this stuff because he wanted a male heir. It changed religion as we know it so that he could have a male heir, got divorced, all that stuff. So they, they, they're they angry. They're angry about that they can't just practice the religion they want, which we, don't, we as Americans, we just don't understand. We don't understand what that means to us because it was laws in England. You had to go to church. You couldn't skip. They yeah. would figure it out. So you would be breaking the law if you didn't go to church and, and like go to the Church of England and, and show up. And But if you're Catholic, that's bad news. And it, it went on forever. Like Andy and I brought up Ireland earlier. Like, you know, Michael Collins, it was bad news. Like, so they, they just hold on to this. And, and now, you know, now it's not a big deal so much, but is it? Yeah. You know, look at them now. And they're angry. Yeah. Um, but everybody, but everybody and everything are angry for the same reasons that, you know, the same base human reasons that they were angry in 1605. They're angry in 2020. You know, yes. it's, it's, it's this idea of power and control that Cole was talking yeah. about earlier. It's, it's what you said when you read it and then, you know, had this, that changed your worldview and, you know, and you started looking at things a little differently. You know, I think we all had those moments of revelation. And for a lot of us, I think for more of us than we um, are willing to, than a lot of people are willing to acknowledge. I think a lot of that came from this medium that we're talking about, which is comics. You know, we've talked about how X-Men informed an entire, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people's views on racism. Um, Certainly. <clears throat> and and you know Captain America in, in in you know informs patriotism and I, I think a, a lot of times a non problematic way you know um, you know Superman you know whatever it is Batman and his you know staunch no gun you, you know every right. there is so much of this that it, it is definitely a form of legitimate storytelling and legitimate discourse that I think is finally starting to get its due. Finally. With thank finally. you thank you, millennials and Gen Z for finally uh, <laughs> yeah. pushing this, you know, uh, for, for for all the crap I've given you on other shows, uh, because I'm a Gen Xer and we're just we're not boomer angry. We're a different kind of angry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stand in the middle of a parking lot and not let you park your car. But I I, I <laughs> I will bitch about it on a podcast. Um, <laughs> well, and also you bring up a very uh, important point about the nature of the medium. And I think that, you know, I'll, I'll probably get away with quoting uh, V for Vendetta because the as a comic, it is able to address issues mm-hmm. by couching them in this medium in much the same way like uh, what was it um, the the Frank Gorshin episode of Star Trek mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which was you know a very stars upon thars kind of tilting at racism mm-hmm. in a way you couldn't at that er- during that era and yeah, but that's the thing about art exactly art is supposed to push us and remind us of how horrible we can be. Well, it, it, yeah. 
but also art is a wonderful way of presenting be it a political view or religious yes. view or something that's counter to yes what is being imposed on people it becomes like the the fisher king uh, is it a diptych i think or a triptych that basically you know it was a very religious piece of yeah. artwork that snuck past the nazis mm. like oh no no this is a you know uh, because they were so you know had this massive hard on for the playing up this mm. sort of uh, highly fictionalized and uh, mythological glory of right. the german people right. they simply presented this very obviously uh, meant to be Jesus figure as oh no this is just a, you know a, a king of, of old this is Parsifal this is you know these are the things you want uh, from our own glorious mythology I I love the fact that Alan Moore is a very very Don Quixote uh, character. Yes. Except for the fact that he consistently tackles the windmill and then punches it in the face oh, about thirty-five no. times. Like he will like go with his lance, and he's like Icarus from the uh, not Icarus, uh, like uh, Karnak from the Inhumans, as he knows just the weak spot and the whole thing tumbles down, and and then there's like no no flower for well, everybody. I, no, I think he is a lot like Icarus. The only problem is he flew to the sun, peed on the sun, took his wings off, and says, "I don't need these." <laughs> Yeah. I don't need these. I'll fall. I don't care. And then just, care. You know, the thing is, he flew hard. up there with the wings, they melted off, and he kept on flying. I don't know how he did it. Anger. It's, it's like, you know, I'm just a, a, an unstoppable force of nature and then pisses on the sun and puts it out. <laughs> Somehow he manages to go and relight the sun. He's he's the anti-Jim Henson. Um <laughs> <laughs> he, he's achieved the, the Jim Henson level, but but the anti Jim Henson. He's the Omega Henson. That's what Alan was. All right, I'm, doing, I'm telling so this. All the years we never knew that it was the Alpha yeah, Jim Henson. Alpha Henson and Omega Moore run the universe. It's the Lords of wow. Order and Chaos. It's Mordo and, and Doctor Fate. But all right, damn it, I'm telling this story, okay? Ah, the gunpowder plot. Tell your story, yes. Yes, indeed. All right, this is where it all came from. And I'm telling this story not so much because I want to tell this story, but because I'm trying to refine my pitch for Hollywood. Because I'm taking this bitch, and I'm getting this movie made. All right? If they can make 18 Robin Hood movies, they can make this movie. This is not this is not a history of the gunpowder plot. If you want a history of the gunpowder plot, Britannica.com. Okay? Yeah. That is a well, this is, source for history. If, I know I'm you sure Kelly. the BBC has produced many a show. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. By now. So I'm sure you can get your hands on those from BBC America or something. This is an American this guy. This is Fox. a kid's comics version of the plot. So here's the thing, right? So there are these three guys. These three guys were um, were super Catholic. <laughs> they were super Catholic guys. It was Winter, Percy, and Wright. And they, um, they, they decided that they were going to overthrow the government, the Protestant government. Um, am I am I good so far? Yep. All right. right. Awesome. So 
they start figuring out how they're going to do this, and they decide, hey, you know what? Before we get crazy, let's uh, let's pop on over to Flanders. I know a guy. I know a guy. Probably have our back. Let's just go over and just see if we can get this done in a more peaceful manner, because y'all getting a little nuts over here with this overthrow and bombs and gun shit. So I'm going to hop on a boat. It's going to take about a year and a half because it's 1603, but I'm going to go over and see if we can't get this guy. So about a year, you know, whatever it is, later, a couple months later, he shows back up and he's like, no, no, he said he might help, might not, but I found Jason Statham. (laughs) Jason Statham here. Oh, I'm sorry. Guy Fox. I've already got him cast. He's Jason Statham in my head. He's in the movie. He's in the movie. By the way, Guy Ritchie's directing this bad boy. Just, it's it's okay. It's it's already done. Don't ask me who Vinny Jones is yet. He's in the movie. I just don't know who he is yet. Um, we might have to write in somebody. We'll get Vinny Jones in the movie. Um, so they bring Guy Fox back, and they say, listen, I found this super radicalized Catholic. <laughs> he is super down with overthrowing this government. Um, how'd I find him? Uh, yeah, he was there. So, uh, he's here now. Let's, um, let's, let's, he has an idea. Do we want to hear his idea? And he's and they're like, sure. And he's like, okay, here's my idea. Let's just blow the, the, let's just blow the shit out of the place. How about that? Let's just take a bunch of gunpowder and blow it up. And they're like, how do we do that? Cut to, Ocean's Eleven style montage <laughs> of them trying to figure out how to blow this up. So in in this montage, much like Ocean's Eleven, they bring in so many people into their secret plan to blow up the, the, the British Parliament. How many people do they bring in? Um, I think it's like eleven people they bring mm-hmm. in. Well, so, of course, because Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this, this is where they is got the, the idea for Ocean's, Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> only they, only in Ocean's Eleven, Andy Garcia never catches George Clooney. Um, <laughs> oh, we should have Andy Garcia in this movie. Um, so, um, <laughs> so, so they're like, well, well, okay, how do we do it? Okay, well, you know how uh, the building, probably building, just sits right here in this. They've done nothing to protect this building at all. And they're like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So why don't we just get an apartment or a house next to it? And then we dig a tunnel, Hogan's Hero style, (laughs) under the ground into the basement. (laughs) They actually even tunneled out a a, a tree stump. And, and once so they could, you know, come up from the street up, level. Yeah. So they could pop up. <laughs> and then they said, okay, well, what do we do once we're there? Well, okay, so once so Guy here has volunteered to get a job for an inordinate amount of time working in the as a guard to guard the storeroom that we found. So what, what I propose we do is we dig this tunnel to a montage, probably of it's in the way that you use it, by Eric Clapton. <laughs> And we dig this thing out, and we'll come out, and, I mean, nobody's paying attention. This is pre-9-11 England. Nobody's paying attention to any of this yet. So we'll um, we'll pop out down there. We'll load up about a ton and a half of gunpowder into this room, <laughs> throw some firewood and some coal on it. Nobody will know. And we'll stick old, uh, old Statham in there to watch the door for a while. How about that? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. Flawless. Think we, got, we, we haven't got a better plan, so why not? 
who should we tell? Everybody? Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> tell everybody. Because there's got to be more radicalized Catholics out there. There are a ton. That's the thing. There are a ton. Also, uh, nobody has ever in the history of ever known how to keep a secret. So, they did an actual pretty good job of keeping a secret. Um, there was a whole plot around what they were going to do when they were going to blow it up. They were going to steal Prince Charles, the infant, and write off. Um, they sent somebody out to um, to gather up all of the uh, all of the Catholics that they thought would be um, galvanized by their plan to overthrow and bring them back. Like all of these mechanisms were at work. Um, one of their. Well, if you're um, going to overthrow, you want to make sure you've got some folks to join the party. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look what happened in Les Miserables. So they made one fatal error in this, okay? Um, they let a guy. Is named... that garage kid again? Yes. Oh, wait, sorry. They let they let a guy named Lord. Uh, somebody want to try this? Because I think it's Montagle. That's the way I would pronounce it. Um, he was the brother-in-law of one of the conspirators. They they, they let him know. He had some ties to the conspiracy. You know, he was sort of an outlier, but he found out. And he was worried, not so much about, uh, well, he was worried about all, and he was a Roman Catholic. He was in, you know, he was like, all right, I'll do this. Um, he was sort of the, he wasn't the McLovin of the group, you know, <laughs> he was, he was an outlier. Um, and he, and he, he, he was like, well, I have some problems with, the fact that some of my friends who are conspirators might get caught. I also have some problems with the fact that there are a lot of, you know, Roman Catholics that are serving that will probably get killed. Yeah. They're yeah. probably going to get killed in this. You know, that's some collateral damage that I'm not really willing to, to deal with. So he sent a message. He sent a letter to um, – he sent a letter out that basically said uh, – Guys, um, you're going to blow up Parliament. I wanted to, you know, I, I wanted to voice my concern for this and make sure that, you know, you guys know it's coming so that you guys can, can do something. Um, let's get out ahead of this and stop this before it happens. Um, and um, he gave it to uh, an Earl of Salisbury. Um the Earl of Salisbury then went to went to went out and was like, uh, "I gotta, I gotta tell somebody. I'm gonna tell the Earl of Suffolk. There were a lot of earls. There's a lot, a lot of keep, earls. This is like yeah. Game of Thrones, keeping track of this shit. <laughs> and um, they proceed to search the, um, they they start they start searching the cellars, and um, they come to the cellar. They knock on the door. Fox opens the door, and they see this comical amount of like firewood <laughs> Just... well, and then in the in the guy Ritchie movie of course the uh incredibly uh, dangerous firefight breaks out oh sure uh, oh, between sure. uh six uh, seven... slow motion firefight. oh yeah absolutely between 15th century blunderbuss and uh Statham's own AK-47. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> All to the tune of When I Ruled the World. <laughs> Solely because there's that mention of Roman Catholic choirs. Right. Um, there's absolutely zero other reason. But please, go on. Um, so he opens the door and he's like, yeah, so um, so what's the, uh, what's with all this firewood? Like, oh, that's, that's per 
Percy's firework. Percy was another conspirator. Conspirator. Um, yeah. And nobody That's knew cool. who. And nobody knew who Percy was. They were like, Percy, huh? All right. <laughs> <laughs> so this is like in Fletch, you know. It's like yeah, it's Fletch. Uh, Barbara told me to, you know, who's who's Barbara? She's my secretary. Who are you? Barbara's boss. <laughs> it's exactly what it was like. So they take off and grab the magistrate. The magistrate comes back. He's like, I told you it was for Percy. They're like, well, okay, I don't I don't know Percy. I'm going to search it. And then they find all the gunpowder. They arrest Fox. Fox, under torture, reveals the name of all the other participants. Um, everybody bones out. At this point, everybody's like, oh, shit, and they just take off, um, <laughs> and they all go in different directions and try to hide, <laughs> but everybody knows who they are, and they've told so many people <laughs> yeah. that, everybody's like, that everybody's like, yeah, oh, oh, oh yeah, I, I know Percy's big on firewood. Right, right. Oh, you mean the firewood guy? Yeah, he's hiding in the basement of that house over there. I saw yeah. him go in. Cool. So they go and round them all up and execute everybody. Um, <laughs> I don't know how they were executed. Does anybody know? Hanging hey, was more popular. Uh, yeah. I mean, Guy Fox is burned in effigy annually, but I doubt he was burnt to the stake. No, he wasn't. And, he was probably hung. Yeah. And or beheaded. Him. As that was fun, also popular. Oh, that's true. That was popular as well. As fun as the story is, and it is a fun story, you should read it. And 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 if there are documentaries, which I don't know, you should watch them because it is a wild story. As yes. as fun as the story is, it had some dire dire consequences for England mm-hmm. at the time. Um, they instituted um, religious tolerance laws um, that really set things back against Roman Catholics for a very, very long time to the point where, you know, we, we had problems with, um, JFK being Catholic, if you mm-hmm. remember correctly, like, these yeah, that's like, true. It was, a, it was a big deal. The first they, Catholic president, these God are long standing, long standing yep. issues that were set in place by the recusancy laws that were set, that were put in place because of this. Which, in part, I think, is why it, cel- it was celebrated for so long. You know, now it's now it's a holiday. Now everybody gets to drink and have fun. It's- yeah, and I, th- I think the reason they burn him in effigy is it's a little more uh, palatable than the fact that he was hanged, drawn, and quartered. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is more palatable than bringing a bunch of horses into a street and d- dragging a dummy apart. It's a lot easier, too. <laughs> yeah, you know, because then you have to f- call your friends who have horses, and they're like, no, no, no. Oh, I got this Hungry Hungry Hippos game. Is that going to work? No. Oh, wow. And keep in mind, this was set place. I, was- I suddenly want to rig a, uh, a drawing version of Hungry Hungry Hippos. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah, and like it pulls a little dummy apart and all the yeah. marbles out. Dummy's getting pulled apart. <laughs> oh, that is horrific. <laughs> that is horrific. Uh... Um... <laughs> but yeah, the uh, Protestants became extremely, extremely suspicious of Catholics. You know, this mm. the Guy Fawkes Day was something that was put into. Um, into effect in 60, so this happened in 1605 in 1606 as a public day of Thanksgiving which yeah. sounds a lot like <laughs> uh, fascism 
to me, <laughs> let's say it has it has an, uh, an undertaste, it has an aftertaste of fascism to me. Like, yeah, we caught these guys, and oh, and we put these recusancy laws in place, and nobody is happy except for the Protestants. Uh, <laughs> let's make it a national holiday. Let's, let's let's just like really rub it in their face, shall we? Right. Let's let's show these people how yeah. how far down they are by dragging this you know literally dragging this through the streets on fire and getting drunk and having a day off how about that so that's the that's the bedrock on which v for vendetta was built and again i would really like to see a conversation with more about how the the gun the 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 gunpowder plot informed the creation of v for vendetta because obviously it had i don't think it was just like oh i'm going to make this guy wear a guy fox mask because it's visually appealing you know right yeah i think there has to be far more to the background but it also you know gave you the uh, it, it really kind of at least gave a a bit of a a history so much is imparted to you through v for vendetta if you're mm-hmm. not british and also, I believe the uh, the heads of all the conspirators were spitting upon pikes on the. Uh, of course they were. Uh, yeah. Vlad the Impaler style. That, that's what you did with spare heads on the bridge gate was to. Uh, it was typical of the time. Yeah. Yeah. That way, people could come up and and like oh, that would make a great mask. <laughs> kind of like Tor Johnson from. Uh, well. I- I don't think we're going to have time to go into the story of V for Vendetta and what it is, but I do think that we have plenty of time to talk about um, what it was and, and why Alan Moore created it. If you want to read V for Vendetta, please, you should. It should be Absolutely. in your – in your. if I had a syllabus for this show, that would be yeah. on there along with Watchmen. You know, honestly, along with uh, Sin, Sin City because Sin, Sin City, City addresses a lot of this too. Um, a lot of yeah. corruption and in, in, in politics and religion. Well, it's all about control. I mean, let's think. Let's think of it like you know, you have plots because people are angry. V for Vendetta is this revenge story because they were trying to control the populace. You know, it's it. That's what uh, fear breeds. Like anytime you have a government that is controlling things, or you have a group, monarchy. Monarchy is just going to straight up control because they have absolute power. The, yes. That, that drive for absolute power, the Romans, you know, like it didn't work. It worked for a while, but it, but eventually you cannot control everyone. You can't, you just can't. It's impossible. Well, the thing about it is the, the iconography, which of course resonates far greater to the British audience of Warrior Magazine than when DC uh, picked it up and helped Alan Moore complete the tale, which had remained unfinished. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know to his credit, Moore uh, is quoted as having said that even there were there were elements of it that he felt, you know, might ought to be a little different, uh, you know, might have been better looked at with older eyes, with more experienced, uh, you know, as a more experienced author. He chose to just let all of the uh, the little things go, mm-hmm. and so I. Th- I like the fact that we got the unabridged, the undiluted 
story. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the iconography of Guy Fawkes, V's goal is to remind a people that are so oppressed they don't even have, know how to have a voice. Yeah. Right. That those who have no voice sometimes must take extreme measures. Mm-hmm. Um, are these laudable? Absolutely not. But, you know, the once free England is now ground under the boot heel mm-hmm. of what began as Norse fire. And what's, what's really remarkable is that Moore does a brilliant job of humanizing the fascists. The, yeah. The, uh, he humanizes the dictator, uh, Adam Susan, yeah. uh, by – there's a wonderful narrative where Susan talks about – it defends his himself to probably no one but himself as a fascist mm-hmm. and remarks on the original the, – the origins of fascism coming out of ancient Rome and the mm-hmm. symbolically – uh, fascism was represented by a bundle of twigs that a single twig is right. easy to break but a bundle is near impossible the fast case yes that's why we bring you on the show because you know, I know. Like, words you know, <laughs> I know the words you know words <laughs> you're smart we want to be smart can't wait to school uh. <laughs> But I do, I do love that you know more when. Hey, asked, that's offensive, lady. I went to school too. <laughs> Cole, going to school before the gunpowder plot doesn't count as going to school. Uh, <laughs> oh, sick bird dog. No, no, I. That's right out of the movie too. Though, though, I think that uh, you know I can't say anything since you know I. Since I think you both got me, and I, I probably went to school with shortly, I've graduated shortly after this movie was released or something, so I can't <laughs> say anything. Um, no, but I do love that um, that when asked about um, like his like more when when Alan Moore was asked about like what his uh, inspiration for V was going to be when he was creating V. He went through a list of, like, the most Alan Moore shit that you could possibly <laughs> list. First of all, he was, you know, Alexander Dumas from The Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah, right. I see it. Yeah. I see it. Definitely. Sure. Sure. Um, but also, um, Phantom of the Opera, which I thought was awesome. Like, yes. yes 100% yes. <laughs> and then he was, like, Prince and Queen, and <laughs> which, you know, in a weird way, Makes 100% sense. Because <laughs> Shadow the... Gallery. Yes. Queen, Shadow yeah. Gallery, go. Yeah, like, yeah. well, the, the, the absolute flair for the operatic and the dramatic makes 100% Absolutely. sense when building it into the character. It's mm-hmm. it's very, very cool. Like, I'm, well, Especially you know... when uh, V is going through his glam period. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's like issue six or something. When he created another identity on top of the identity created yeah, exactly. from Venus and he was there to take all the Mercury home. It was weird, but you know, I guess it worked in book two. I, uh, or oh, said he just went ahead and went with what was originally published, and I applaud him for that. Yeah. Um, you know, and of course, your references to you know, uh, 1984, and you know, in any of that, uh, that sci-fi against oppression that we saw post World War Two and 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 pre World War Two for that matter. Um, oh yeah. We're, we're definitely. You know, freedom. You know, war is peace. You know that that doubles the idea of double speak. 
the idea of being able to keep two opposing thoughts in your mind at the same time um, was extremely powerful for Moore. And I think it's been powerful for Moore across the board. Even if you read Watchmen, you know, a lot of there, there are through lines to a lot of what Moore does across the board in all of his, in, in all of his work. And I think that, you know, Watchmen, I think V, I think V is more kind of getting a bloody nose from it than anything else. I think you take it in the face from V versus, mm-hmm. you know, a Watchmen where you kind of have to really dig into the subtext to get out of the, you know, to, to realize that, you know, Dr. Manhattan being a weapon for the government in Vietnam meant something <laughs> other than that, or, you know, or the, 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 what essentially was the superhero registration act meant something more than what it was, you know, than what it meant well, on what, paper. What he does best as an author is to give you the catalysts. Mm-hmm. For, for where you begin in the narrative, he will give you the catalyst that got you there. Uh, in Watchmen, it is those very things because using Dr. Manhattan to win the war, you have a 51st state out of it. You have the repeal of the, um, the act that uh, prevents the president from serving in two terms, which escapes me. And in V for Vendetta, you have the most powerful catalyst of its day, and that is a limited thermonuclear war. Mm-hmm. There's a wonderful reminiscence on Evie's part when she talks about her mom telling her that there is no Africa anymore. Mm-hmm. There are no elephants and lions. He's not there anymore. He got pretty close. He got pretty close. I, I have a I I think today it would probably be the Middle East, but mm-hmm. he got pretty close for you know the eighties, I think. Well, and what that did brilliantly is to illustrate what happened in Guy Fawkes' day, not the holiday, but in his day, um, that we saw born out years later on nine eleven is that knee-jerk reaction on a grand scale sure. fall victim to as a society. Here this potentially devastating plot was prevented, but you still had a reaction that you would have had had they figured out you know, why this plot was hatched in the first place. Well, then, but Ian, you also have like where you have that St. Mary's Massacre like, and the detective figures out in a very yes. firefly, this is serenity. We did, we made the reavers ourselves. It's our fault. Way um, that that you, I'm going to grab this moment of weakness that you have and control you because you are, are unable to process. Like that, that's what you know. There's that vulnerability that they the, that government sweeps in and grabs and takes control because yes. nobody has a fight in them because it's so devastating. So what's the St. Mary's Massacre while we're there? Uh, the St. Mary's Massacre when it was the, the stuff in the water, that they poisoned the water and the children. Was that it? Um, it that was in the, maybe in the movie more than in the comic. But it was something that I was kind of thinking about you know, when we're talking about this. Like what are, what are the moments where, especially in the movie, when, when, when Finch figures out, when the detective figures out that the government was responsible 
um, and the, what the truth was, and and that yes. was also linked to V. Like his V's vengeance finally made sense to the detective. Like this was because you know you got to figure out what what's the point. You know, is this just a crazed person that's just exactly that like, there was just sometimes yeah. Is this a random act of violence or is this purposeful? What is he going after? When and you see that also in the comic where you have. Uh, you know the discovery of what happened at the at Lark Hill, right? It, yeah, and, it was spontaneous. And and uh, patient five, these just seemingly random piles of chemicals and liquids yeah. and what have you, that in the midst of all this chaos is a sinister order that no one else but him can see, because V sees the big picture. Yeah, everyone else just sees the random disparate elements. But to V, this was the beginning of the end for those that oppressed him and others. That, And he goes and systematically destroys the figureheads who have benefited all these years yeah. from... From him. These, these, yeah, from him and from the vile acts. And and you see the, the diversity of, you know, the... the the doctor's resignation that mm-hmm. she feels she deserves to die. Yeah. And, you know, thanks him for his compassion and allowing her to die quietly yeah. and comfortably. Um, the, you know, driving, uh, uh, Prothero mad because he feels no compassion whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's that wonderful line about how he's, you know, so, his deep concern for plastic and porcelain and when it was human beings that were withering away and dying in his camps, he could, he cared little if at all. Yeah. And, you know, uh, capturing, using the priest's own hypocrisy, the bishop's hypocrisy, um, to facilitate his demise. Mm -hmm. Um, everything sends a tremendous message it's more than just vengeance. It's has a ripple effect. And especially like in the case of the Bishop, his murder serves the purpose of then calling everything about him into question, because Mm -hmm. inevitably this very active government has to investigate his death and thereby, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they find what a creep he really was ultimately. And, it's forcing a handful of people, those who still have compassion and the capacity to question within them. Uh, so you have your, you have Finch and his, uh, especially his assistant, mm-hmm. beginning to really question, you know, their compl- complicity right. in this terrible machine that's just become, you know, that's all his assistant has ever known. Right. It's it is the transformation of like this the almost simultaneous like it it takes place in different times in the movie but think of this like if they were all like parallel universes and they're happening at the same time what kind of power that has that would drive everybody out from their homes to put on a mask and then march like they they would they the people actually left the houses they just they were so scared to go outside they would just sit and watch whatever was put in front of them yes. And then this push, that amazing push of of the tenacity of the human spirit, like despite what you go through, you can survive it. 
and you go out and you're not afraid anymore. And that happens in with V in the beginning and then it happens with everybody else later. I am teaching you how to think that you can think. Yes, and that's again why the the iconography of Guy Fawkes which has fallen out of the British vernacular is so yeah. important within the context of this narrative because it's reminding people that you know, you can take a stand. Yeah. And you know, and one of the things I really love about the the subtext in the comic was just how viciously more uh, rails at mm-hmm. fascism and dictatorships yeah. down to the entertainments. You mentioned, you know, watching whatever was on yeah. TV. Uh, there's the uh, Storm Saxon was the, the action adventure uh, show and, and more very subtly has where, you know, Storm Saxon's enemies are, are clearly these exaggerated, um, you know, minority types. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. you can tell from the, the dialect and the dialogue itself that it's very much an exaggeration that's being put forward and, and Storm's out there fighting for the white man. Right. Uh, as well he should. And one of my favorites is, you know, this sort of coming up next was a comedy called You Have to Laugh. And the subtext there is so brilliantly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's painted with such a heavy brush that if anybody missed what was, it was like, right. a, it was a play on words. It was a mandate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> By We're God, funny too. laugh. <laughs> this is this is your humor hour. Now get to laughing. Well, we Kelly and I were talking before the show, and and you know it's something that we have we have talked about too, which is you know Moore is a wackadoo crazy warlock man, oh. like he one hundred percent is, and there's no, there's nothing more important to someone, and and this is I know I I, I don't mean to be dismissive. Um, and I don't mean to when I say that I, I say that in terms of Moore's personality toward it and not the practice of it um, <laughs> but there's nothing more important to somebody who who is a practicing let's say Wiccan or a practicing um, even I'm going to go as far as even to say the, the actual legitimate church of Satan right somebody mm-hmm. who then individuality then your ability to create your own destiny is what is is what defined magic with a K is really about. How you go about it, it leads to differences, which we can get into in another show, because I would be really happy to talk about the right and left hand paths if, if that's what you want. K, future episodes. Okay, um, <laughs> but individuality, the ability to define your reality and bend the will mm-hmm. to yourself and not let anybody else do that for you is what is sits at the top of the pyramid um, for for his personal zeitgeist and mm-hmm. anything like like the gunpowder plot or I, I would I would love to see him come out on Brexit I would love it uh, Alan, yeah. please, yeah. please save Europe from itself. I think you can do it if anybody else can. Um, yeah. You get your Walt Whitman ass out of your house and go and <laughs> help some shit. And you go out and engage the damn world, all right? <laughs> you, you, you go out and throw something. 
That's all we're asking for. Um, you know, I think that it speaks definitely in this. Like, the the affront to the nature of Alan Moore and to the nature of what he feels humankind is is so palpable. It's physical in this book. Like, you, he is he is full of rage against what he's seeing in the world, whether it's Reagan or Thatcher, you know, Nixon or Vietnam mm-hmm. or, yeah. you know, it, whatever he sees and feels he, this is his, this is his rage speaking out mm-hmm. in the only way he knows how, you know, maybe that's not true, but <laughs> in the way that it he sure feels comes going that to, way. Get to the most people, let's put it that way. Well, the thing about it is that also within the, the context of this, when V for Vendetta was ultimately concluded and then collected, Moore has, there's a, like a forward, I believe, or an afterward uh, that was penned by Moore. And he had. And it said, I'm not writing anymore. It spoke of, you know, how he was going to get his family out of England because it was so mean spirited, which he'd never done. This has been, what, 30 years now. And we're still it. waiting on him to get his Walt Whitman ass out of England. But, you know, he it, it had this undertone like, you know, what I envisioned here is a hair's breadth from happening in yeah. my country, uh, except that three decades later, it's, you know, yeah. it'll happen. Trust me, I'm going to get the family out of here. You know, the kids are gone now more. Let's just, you know, get over it. But that's just because I, I read it uh, not too long ago. <laughs> It's not like he just wrote it again. <laughs> a follow-up. Verbatim from what I said 30 years ago. I swear to God I'm getting these kids out of here. But he still yeah. thinks he's going to. Let's just yeah, it's exactly. out. But, you know, One of these days. That, that always struck me as uh, as the years have gone on as more hyperbole that helps sell the book than <laughs> than anything else but you know i think at the time he probably really believed that like you know when i was in college i was pretty certain that there would come a day when the the sirens would be going off and i'd just go get a lounge chair and uh you know sit out in the backyard and watch the world blow up i still do sure. i still do i don't know if you're getting it's coming no, no, none of us expected to live this long let's no, be honest no so, i made bad choices based on that <laughs> I made horrible choices assuming that we wouldn't be able to congeal as a people as long as we have. We were told that the entire world would be wiped out long before now, or that the very damned least, there would be no gasoline left. Right. Right. Junior high. Come on, Russia. Stupid little kid would come on and tell you that by the time he was old enough to drive, there wouldn't be any gas left. Well, the kid was like six years away from driving, so shut up. And he's probably like 40-something now, so he could kiss my ass. And I'm going to get off that soapbox about the so-called energy crisis. Listen, I got a car payment. Russia did not come through. <laughs> Y2K, my ass. Yeah. Come on. And- Despite what that 
I mean, let's be honest. We're cattle. Let's be honest. That's, I mean, this is taking a really... I guess it was bound to take a dark turn. Of but course. But this is taking a really dark turn. Well, so, I mean, this is like... this. Yeah, all that stuff, like, it's the Tupperware parties that we are like, we have to buy something because I love you, my friend, and I'm going to take this bowl home and never use it. It's, it's, it's just what we do. Well, you know what I do annually with my Tupperware bowl? Is I burp it I, once a year on the on the anniversary. Uh, oddly enough, I purchase it on November twelfth. I, I uh, <laughs> we're getting damn close. Nine more days till burping day. That's what I say when any of my friends get mad when I you know when I haven't talked to them for three months. I'm like, we were get, get over it. We were supposed to live this long. All right. <laughs> well, I think that, that V for Vendetta, if nothing else, especially if if you're you know. I don't have any vitriol against millennials. You know, I was a generation extra. We got the same shit you're getting now. Yeah. We were worthless. Yeah, but the millennials have hope, and I think that's what makes us mad. (laughs) How dare you? Because you didn't grow up under the specter of nuclear war, and you didn't have to watch that god-awful television show the day after, which was total bullshit. (laughs) A boy and his dog (laughs) lied to me. (laughs) (laughs) I think we've figured out one thing. I think if I think that the final note that I have for V for Vendetta was that it was it was the perfect lexicon for Gen X. I think yes. it was the perfect yeah. timing if, for Gen X. Like if you want to understand us, yeah, V for, v Vendetta. for Vendetta. Leave and, it to Gen Z and the millennials to actually take it and put it into action in some yeah. actionable way. Whereas we were like, yeah, this is us. Yeah, they, they what they did was actually leave England. So <laughs> suck on that. <laughs> so Alan about- Moore did his job. His children left England. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it, Alan. You thought he was referring to his literal children. He wasn't. No. He, Does he anybody just, have any final thoughts? We've got to wrap this I, up. I do. Yes, I am going to bring up Can one thing. Can you make thing. it cogent and, and, and really? We're going to bring it back. Home? We're going to bring right. it back. So, I mean, kind of like what I said before is that art is supposed to show us how horrible we are, i.e. Joseph Campbell's The Heart of Darkness, oh, i.e. Yes. Batman the Killing Joke because we're on Alan Moore. And he, but at the oh, same yeah. time, Alan Moore – shoots uh, Barbara Gordon in, in one of the worst moments of my entire life, but then she goes on to become Oracle, and that was some of my favorite comics for years was the stories about Oracle and what she did and was what she was able to, to accomplish regardless of what happened to her. Right. So I think what we really also need to take away from when art shows us how awful we are, but art also shows us how, what we can do. And where, how we can think, and how we can make the world better, and that definitely is V for Vendetta. Because even though it is the weirdest, sometimes most just sand in your vagina kind of painful look, it's still like Evie still comes out of it triumphant. Right. And I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that my final thought, or the the thought that I had not quite articulated yet was that Evie is a blank canvas. Yeah. That V finds in Evie the perfect, because she is a generation, she is of the last generation that ever knew a world before Mm -hmm. the current England. (laughs) 
So there's an entire generation coming up behind her that all they've ever known is oppression. Yeah. So he finds in her someone with an inkling with those memories, those little fleeting glimpses of what life was like before her parents were carted off and she's just thrown into the system. Mm -hmm. And she is the remainder of her education presumably is within the system. Her entire life is within the system. She undoubtedly lives in housing provided by that system that is, and, you know, she works in a damn match factory for God's sake, uh, which, you know, read all the British context you want out of that. <laughs> I mean, at least she's still got a jawline for God's sake, but, <laughs> It's weird. <laughs> Too soon. It's only been a couple hundred years, but um, you know, everything about her is he takes this person who this totalitarian system has sought to mold into its ideology, mm -hmm. and sh shakes all of that free. Yeah. And in the most terrible way, erases everything they've done to her mm -hmm. and gives her the realization that she mm -hmm. is stronger than everything that's been done to her. Mm -hmm. no, exactly. Absolutely. Well, you know, the movie, the last line in the movie was was fantastic. You know, the last the last line that she delivers in the movie. Um, and I and I'm holding my copy of of V for Vendetta, you know, now in my hand. Um, and I wish that, I wish that it would echo, you know, echo that, um, when they, when they came in and basically V says, you know, they're trying to get the identity of V. Um, and she says, you know, V, V is all of us. And I think that you're right. There is definitely a, a, a clean slate there with V that, and V also functions, not V, Evie, sorry. Um, Evie functions as the Greek chorus. She's yeah. all of us. Oh, yeah. You know, she's she's seeing this from the outside in, in a way that... And you're not just chattering to Kelly here, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> of her classical education. <laughs> I was like, ooh, did you say Greek chorus? No, no, of course I have. Cole, I'm pandering to you. Um, they... Always pandered me, and God bless you for that. Yeah, I need all the pandering I can get. Trust me. But I don't. I don't know if there's a, a, another better way to end the show than of the, than that, and and you know a better way to end the comic um, than that as well. It's uh, it's so good, and and you should. You, you should read it. I don't yeah. often order edicts on this show, but right. but it's definitely one of those. It's in the it's in the syllabus. So absolutely, and I think you know we had a lot of fun goofing around and playing around with what is a very weighty uh, comic topic. Yes. Um, so yes, in closing, absolutely. If you have never read V for Vendetta, um, if you've seen if you've only seen the movie and never read the book. I highly recommend as you enter this is the same thing I tell people with Watchmen if you've if your jumping off point was the movie divorce yourself from everything oh, yeah. you've seen because you're going to have an entirely different experience uh, much like if you've ever if you've never read Peter Benchley's Jaws 
mm-hmm. your brain will melt because it's absolutely nothing like Spielberg's right. vision of Jaws. Right. There's like all kinds of, you know, you're like, what the hell? It gets very Game of Thrones at one point where you're just like, uh, no, that uh, you can't do that. That's a, that's, you don't do that with our babies. And, uh, you know, absolutely. You must read this, but if you have only ever seen the movie, you're going to get a very, but similar story, mm-hmm. uh, that has a lot of subtext that you just can't get. And, 90 minutes or two hours well and you need to keep it with you like this is something that you need to own in your library and i guarantee you much like hamlet when you experience things and you go back to it and then you see what the human where the humanity really is and how you relate to it and what's brilliant about the the comic about the way more presents is their relationship that grows between v and evie yeah, you get Absolutely. some of that in the movie, but there's there's some brilliant little things that you see her emergence, yeah, as a woman and as a force of nature ultimately, yeah, and you also see some these wonderful, you know, V is a vicious killer of his enemies and a fierce destroyer of this dictatorship. Mm-hmm. But yet, there's a wonderful, there, there's some humor, and yeah. some some there's a playfulness to him that he exhibits with Evie, that, you know, there's almost to my thinking an underlying sadness, because mm-hmm. V knows what he has to do, yeah, to create the Evie he needs. But he leaves her this shadow gallery. So if I could say one last thing, is yes. the world is our shadow gallery. Filled with beautiful things that we need to explore and discover. Yeah, and, uh, I've long been working on a, a little piece for my website that I think I ought to just throw out there to book publishers. Uh, and I'm going to, you know, posit that there are lines in movies that, if you take them outside the movie and really think about them, and there's one from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, uh, just to paraphrase, to like, you know, remove some of the plot context and just take it out of context is that you should read books and not burn them. Well, yeah, that that is one of the things that V is very much presenting. I still think you should pitch your uh, Wonka field journal to publishers, but that's Uh, just me. Um, (laughs) Oh God, that lost gem, the lost gem known as the Wonka field journal. I think it could be recreated. My, I, I, I need to try to rewrite like the Oompa Loompa Doompa Dee Doo. You do. It was brilliant. Which, uh, which <laughs> explained how Wonka maintained his army of Oompa Loompas. It was it was a it was like a an eighteen hundreds uh, gentleman <laughs> explorer's field journal of the Oompa Loompa. It, it was it was actually from the an excerpt from the book Imponderable Nature. This is what Cole does with his free time, ladies I, and gentlemen. I guess. This All is right. my free brain. It if just... we're going to talk about those things, then I'm going to bring up Dial M for Moses. I still want to see <laughs> Dial M for Moses, damn it. My, dial, my show that I wrote was Dial M for Murder, but with the Moses people. I want to see Dial M for love... Moses so badly. I, I have to say, I love the term, the Moses the people. The Moses people. <laughs> I, as long as Jason Statham is ham 
Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Mark Strong. I'm gonna keep bringing up Mark Strong because who doesn't want he Mark Strong? Mark Strong is in the his He's Jaguar right. commercial got me through adolescence. I'm just going to keep I using that joke. <laughs> I because that's patently impossible. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know what I've gone through, Cole. You don't know how long of an adolescence you've had. You don't it's know like when the, it started. The gestation <laughs> of a baby elephant. You don't know when it started. You don't know when it stops. You, <laughs> you, have, you have a helical puberty. <laughs> That's my name of my next album. <laughs> Helical puberty. Oh God, Kelly, is there? Do you have any plugs that you need to plug? Any plugs. Uh, <laughs> coming up, if you are in the Dayton, Ohio area, and you are itching for some breakfast with the 501st to the Boone Shop Museum of Discovery. Yeah. November 8th is going to have the dark side of waffles. There's a waffle oh, dog. And all of your favorite Star Wars characters. It's going to be like 25 up. bucks. It's at 10 a.m. You come what? in, you pay, and you get to stay in the museum. The rest of it comes with admission. Oh. It probably would cost me about 300 because I so want to spend the airfare and hotel and everything. <laughs> well, you don't, just, have, you don't need a hotel, buddy. <laughs> no, that's so true. You, you just need airfare. I, I, I'm going to hang up now. What day is this? Because I'm going to get in the car now it's and start driving. Or, excuse me, December 8th, it's at 10 oh, okay. To get tickets, www.boonshoftmuseum.org. Yeah, baby. Yeah, you've got a ton of stuff coming up. That I got a lot. It's if true. You, if you provide me with that stuff, we'll run it on the website if you want. I will. I mean, I'm, I'm already looking forward to Geek Fest next year, but that's just me. That's July, July 17th and 18th, Geek Fest, Geek Prom. Um, I will say this: If the 501st will be so gracious, if, this is, if they'll do this, this is exactly what I pitched. I was like, "Hey, do you guys have a Darth Vader or a Wookiee? Uh, and do you mind putting a Santa Claus beard so that the kids can ask the Empire what they want for Christmas?" <laughs> <laughs> well, and the thing about it is, under Imperial rule, that actually happened in the Star Wars universe. Uh, Thought that no wishes would be granted. I know that's why it's funny. I mean, that's that's what you know you knew going in, but it was for the kids. Exactly. You know? It's for the kids. Uh, no, I will tell you this: uh, Geek Fest was, and I know I've talked about it on the show just so many times, but it was so amazing, and um, you know, the, it felt it felt like it felt a lot like the birth of Alcon North, um, in the sense that. Like you had all of your cosplayers and you had all of your, you know, your, your comic artists and your comic writers and you had all of, you know, all of your vendors. But then you also had the Jane Austen Society, which was fantastic. You the picture of Darth Vader and the Imperial uh, guards having tea with the Jane Austen ladies. Oh, I did all that. It, I wanted that moment. You executed so many moments during this thing that were insane. Uh, you, ex you, I almost got executed by a tiny Link swinging his sword at me uh, during the costume contest. Um, big shout out to, to uh, 
if, if well, my, dab, dab, tiny link. If 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 I'm Cole's Evie, then I have an Evie of my own now in Griffin Boyles. And uh, <laughs> big shout out to that kid uh, right. doing the Lord's work out there. All right, Cole, plug us up with our plugs, will you? Absolutely. We're coming to you from the Jedi Cole Universe at JediCole.com. And we, uh, you can write to us at jcumail at yahoo.com if you're so inclined. Uh, might actually check that uh, email address sometime. And uh, <laughs> We're so bad at this. Yeah, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm, I'm, I'm a and marketing for professional, it. and I am so bad at this. You need some help, y'all. Like, no, do honestly, we ever? No. Just no, no. need to do it. That's the, yeah, <laughs> somebody needs really... to tell me to do it. That's what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some ass-getting off. Mm-hmm. Thing that needs to happen. Sure. More verbs. That's right. My Walt Whitman ass going on here. Well, you know, I used to see President Lincoln. Why is your Walt Whitman a lot like your Garrison Keeler? Because Garrison Keeler actually played Walt Whitman in, in the, Walt Whitman's uh, life. He's a vampire. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Damn. That's why he's so rich. But, the pyramid scheme, <laughs> Kelly. We finally got the answer to my question. Oh yes, you were. You may you not were, have known. You this. You may not have known this. I finally got a cogent answer to the question: Why does everybody assume that vampires are so good with money? And I finally got an answer. <laughs> like when? What? What can you? What instance can you tell me where you can remember like a, a vampire from? modern history that wasn't living in like a new orleans mansion and feasting on lamb every night and like right. yeah why why is hosting that? elaborate dinner parties and why, stuff why are you as bad with money and death as you are in life and i guarantee you they're not all i guarantee you lestat wasn't driving around in like a, a, yeah. a stretch rolls everywhere he went <laughs> you know it's a, it's a it's a pyramid scheme i think weldon adams helped us discover that it was yeah, a pyramid God bless him. scheme that <gasps> When you bite somebody, they're your thrall. Uh-huh. You essentially get their shit. Yeah, right? it's a yeah, it's a pyramid scheme. So they, and they have to keep kicking stuff up. So yeah, yeah. like the the uh, oldest living vampire is living in the lap of luxury on a private island. Dracula yeah. is the P Diddy of <laughs> vampires. Whoa. Like he's having white parties. <laughs> he's got yachts and shit. He's That's hosting right. singing shows on TV. And with that, we have to. Uh, we got to be sure and check me out on the first and third Sundays of every month <laughs> over at with the Randcore Pit live with myself and Eddie Medina and our own talk lord of the Sith, Zach Schroeder. And uh, on the third Sunday, that's uh, whatever the hell time it is, 10.30 to 11.30 a.m. Central on DallasOnAir.com. Preceded on the third Sunday of every month by my other show, Isle of Toys, which has been going gangbusters for over two years now. It's just insane. I didn't think it would live this long. And <laughs> damn Russians. But uh, and that's uh, 9.30, 10.30 a.m. on the third Sunday of every month. That's a weird transition, but all right, I'll, I'll go with it. Um a weird transition yeah right I like to think that this show is our form of protest (laughs) the fact that we're still doing it is we're protesting something I don't know what it is but we're doing it baby Um, and at HK what's that whatever raging against whatever it is good good taste Uh, 
<laughs> adulthood. I don't know what it is, but we're doing it. Hey, uh, what was it? Um, from Black Sorry. Adam. Another nail in the coffin of variety. That's right. <laughs> um, but you can find us at HK Comic Show on the Facebooks and the Twitters and the uh, Instagrams. And with that, I think we're going to let Kelly get back to, you know, normal not at grab assery <laughs> yeah so, she's going from uh grab assery back to scholarly yeah right yes. Yes. um thank you so much you brought thank wait, you again just like i do oh, i do always. like uh, you know i'm going through it i'm doing research and i'm discovering all these wonderful new things and then you're like yeah and this is what really happened and i'm like god damn it I, <laughs> like, thank oh. you it's always an utter delight to be on your show meanwhile in his on historical integrity <laughs> meanwhile guy Ritchie boy over here sexing up the oh. the, the history of the gunpowder plot you don't understand i now okay so if i can put it together and i'm saying this on the show so i have to do it i right now i'm in secret i'm working on our casting calls um for for the for the episode with eddie um i'm secretly working on our 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 casting calls for those movies but if i can put it together before i don't know when god i'm saying this out loud when i can get it done i will i will write something for a table read right. for guy Ritchie's gunpowder plot oh god we will so Let record that i'll help you over. Uh, Kelly, Kelly's just offered help in this, so that's you. dangerous. Kelly will also be playing the Queen of England as played <laughs> and, by and, and, whoever um, we cast, Helena Bottom Carter. No, no, sake. it needs to be. Yeah. Um, it needs to be. What's her name? The the one that was in red. The oh, oh Helen Mirren. Oh God, yes. yes. Are you kidding me yes. with that mouth on her? It would be perfect for a oh, Guy yeah. Ritchie movie. Um. Also, she loves Guy Ritchie, so why not? Oh, yeah. But Kelly will also the be... guy who played Bricktop as well, because I love him. Kelly's also going to be playing the part of Jason Statham. Because I do... <laughs> Unless we can get Jason Adams to do it, which we very well might be able to do. <laughs> we need to call <laughs> Which we very yeah. well might be able to do. All he right. Can yes, Stunt he can. Double. Well, oh, yeah, he'll do it, too. Um, all right. Uh, buy, collect, enjoy your comics. Put this one into your collection. Go to Half Price Books. Go to your go to your local uh, comic shop. Go wherever you can. Pick it up. Read it immediately on the way home. I don't care how unsafe it is. I'm giving you bad advice. Um, <laughs> it's worth it. It's not texting. It's okay. Yeah, I'm just reading V for Vendetta. What? <laughs> all right. Um Sorry, Ossifer, I was reading a comic at the uh, insistence of Big Kids Comics. <laughs> Kelly, we really, seriously, without uh, it, without caveat, love you with all oh, of our hearts. I and oh, Absolutely. You've made this show consistently better than it has been in the past, and we cannot oh. be more thankful for you, and that's the God's honest truth. Um, so all that being said, say goodnight, you two crazy kids. Good night, kids. Good night, everybody. Good night, fannies. Join us next week for Halfway to Hell. <laughs> Damon Hellstrom. Can't wait Patrick to Man, the Demon. <laughs> the Blue Devil. Horns. Velasco. Velasco. <laughs> oh, Good night. Yeah, we're actually going to be introducing the new X-Men themed Belasco sauce. It has 12 more Scoville units than 
uh, sriracha sauce. Oh! It'll be a huge seller because everybody's stupid and wants super hot things when nature says the reason this these the fruits of these plants are so toxically hot is so you don't eat them! Uh, I pray for Norse fire now. Thank you, Cole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> good, good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Bye.